Hello and welcome to the Football Collective Podcast, a football research podcast for debate, discussion, highlighting members of the collective, their research and all things football within the world of academia. Welcome to part two of Betting on the Beautiful Game, where we will be discussing the relationship between gambling and football. In part one, we sat down individually with John Myers from Leeds Beckett University and Steve Sharman from the University of East London to discuss their research and their take on gambling and football. Coming up on part two. Football's in danger if it already hasn't become over-reliant on money from gambling. We see it from a very young age. We, we, we see a gambling culture from a young age, but as soon as they start using money, we, we think it's a problem. How can, can you, how can you watch a football game without some exposure to gambling? How to gamble is probably a source of cultural capital as well for a lot of football fans. We'll start off on, on the topic of COVID-19. I think it's sort of inescapable to speak about at the moment. What sort of impact is that having, obviously we know what impact it's having on football in general, but what sort of impact is that having on the gambling industry with a lot of sport, especially football, it brings in a lot of revenue for the gambling industry just being off. Yeah, I, I guess I can start with that one. It's, um, obviously it's going to have a huge impact on the industry because they're going to lose out on an awful lot of money or another way you could look at it is that gamblers are saving an awful lot of money. Um, but it's it's actually um, from the looking at it from the perspective of kind of gambling related harm and potential gambling problems. It's actually an extremely dangerous time for a lot of people because you're going to have a lot of people who are at home, um, maybe have a little bit of extra money because they're not going out. Um, they're extremely bored. They're a little bit worried about kind of the future and what's going to happen. All of those are ingredients for starting to gamble or gambling more than you might do usually uh, and what we have been seeing at the moment is quite a big kind of push towards the gambling companies to to actually act pretty responsibly or try to act responsibly through this period and not because we started to see a huge increase in or at least an increase in kind of advertising traffic trying to guide people either to lesser known sports like I think it was table tennis in Russia or something like that um, or towards casino games which we know are faster they're more addictive and more dangerous so it's um it's it's not a great time for the industry but it's also a, a terrible time um, for the for the gambler as well definitely I think I've, with this isolation being on your own not having particular some things that you probably used to for entertainment it's very easy to resort to things that are fast acting, things that like your casino games, your roulette. And there is almost within gambling harm there's a there is a hierarchy in terms of activities that are see that are seen as 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 Steve's mentioned. So I think going from perhaps betting on the football on a Saturday to being at home, perhaps going for having a spin on the roulette or blackjack is probably gonna be a port of call for a lot of people. So that, that takes us nicely on to what the second point of this was going to be. Plan to, to get this recorded before, obviously, the big sort of COVID-19 crisis had happened. So what do you think about gambling for football? I know we've 
done this in part one individually. But just sort of if we open up a debate, is, is gambling bad for football and is gambling bad for wider society? And I'll, I'll jump in again if you don't mind, John. Um, I think for, for society, uh, no, I don't think gambling is, is necessarily inherently evil. It's not bad for society. We've we've seen gambling across all societies across history. You know, it's 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 always there. I think what is bad um, is some of the kind of the more nefarious practices that the industry engage in um, to extract money from people who may or may not be exhibiting signs of problems. You know, like there's been a lot of press coverage recently of VIP schemes and. and kind of lack of proof of funds checks and some of the way the advertising has gone which I think we're probably going to talk about a bit later um, is all a bit problematic which means that I think at the moment yes gambling is bad for football Um, I think football is in danger if it hasn't already of becoming over-reliant on money from gambling if you look at certain clubs um, they rely hugely on the income they receive from from gambling companies through sponsorship and when you get any profession that becomes over-reliant on income from one source, it gives that provider undue power and influence. Football's in danger if it already hasn't become over-reliant on money from gambling. And there's definitely certain clubs um, that are hugely reliant on the large kind of sponsorship deals they get from with gambling companies. Um, and when any profession becomes over-reliant on one income source, and it, it gives that provider of the income source certain power and influence within kind of the relationship. And it means that we're allowing providers of, a, of potentially dangerous products to become the dominant advertiser within the most watched sport in the country. Um, and, you know, we don't allow alcohol or smoking sponsorship anymore. So it seems strange to me that we would still allow advertising companies to have that much of a prominent role kind of within football. I, I tend to agree. I mean, I've, in, in my notes... Um, the very brief note that I've written: gambling as an activity um, is, a, for me, is a good thing within society. is a fun thing. is a social thing. And then you've got gambling as an as an industry in the gambling industry itself, which tend to play on that. I think and tend to sort of use that relationship between football and the social social nature of gambling to to do all the things that Steve's almost as Steve list has listed. I. I think that there's changes need to be made, and I think it's it's very apparent that that needs to be done. Uh, but I think, that, and the gambling industry needs to do more in our in terms of being on the front foot and suggesting some of the things that it can do to put itself in a good light. So, if we just carry on with that sort of um, same thought thought process about what something you mentioned in part one, John, about gambling being um, a part of UK culture and, and gambling and football also being a part of the UK of UK culture throughout the last sort of 40 to 50 years almost. Where would you say gambling's position is within the culture of the UK? I know um, just before we've been recording this, we were, we'd seen Cheltenham that was refusing almost to shut down with the with the lockdown. Um, does that say does that show sorry how important gambling is? I think so. I mean, it's, within football, it's. The, I mean, the football pools has been there since, or there's been some form of football pools since the 19th century, I think late 1800s, that you could see that it was there um, in some way, shape or form. And it's just, I think it's grown. I think we've even so, we've seen the fact that the football pools, which isn't particularly done so much anymore, I think it's almost been outgrown and the demand's gone to more traditional, more, well, arguably traditional forms of gambling on sport. Um, and we've seen that development go in the last in the last ten years with the development of betting apps and things like that. It's gone from 
um, just predicting scores to predicting the amount of corners and the, the amount of yellow cards and things like that. And it's just been a massive part of that. I think um, within the culture of the UK, it's, it's, it's part and parcel towards everybody. I think, I, I think I've spoken to you about it before, Steve. Um, it's, we see it from a very young age. We, we, we see a gambling culture from a young age, but as soon as they start using money, we, we think it's a problem. When really they've, it's been a problem long before before that within your Kinder Eggs, your Happy Meals, all those different kind of things. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that, John, about about the kind of the exposure of children to gambling and a gambling culture because it's a, a study we're just in the process of submitting for publication at the moment. Uh, looked at because uh, obviously the UK is one of the few countries in the world that actually actually has forms of gambling that children are allowed to engage with. You know, we we actually legally let children gamble. And uh, the study we've just done, we, we uh, looked at over a thousand gamblers and looked at their, their current gambling behavior and then looked at their engagement with uh, gambling products as children. And there's quite a clear pattern that frequency of engagement with gambling products as a child is significantly related to increased chances of having significant gambling problems as an adult. So it's, it's extremely problematic to have gambling embedded within culture for children at such a young age because we know now that there's a there's a significant chance that it's going to increase the likelihood of gambling problems in adulthood but it's it's a difficult line because with with sport it's such, and with football particularly asking people what you think the score is going to be of a certain game is part and parcel of of attending of watching of of discussing the the, the match that's on or whatever and it's going to be, and, and then betting on it is almost part and parcel of that. I mean, if it's that put your money where your mouth is sort of thing that when you grow up, you're going to have a prediction on the game and you're going to want to bet on it. I think, um, and again... Don't you think that that's potentially a reflection of, of the way that the gambling and football culture has progressed in a way that it shouldn't have done? Because actually having a conversation with a mate about what you think a score is going to be and then actually putting some money on that they're actually two very different things. One is just a, an idle conversation, whereas the other is actually putting something at risk. So they're, they're quite different things. And the fact that it's become something that is normal as part of a, a match routine is is something I think that's quite problematic in UK football and gambling culture. I'd have to agree with that as well, because sort of from my experience, especially when I have a five run, maybe what the score will be, I've, I've almost not got that, that care of like, well, uh, well, it's just it's sort of a guess. That, that also takes us on to what we were discussing in part one, Steve, about the normalisation of gambling via football and, and how we consume football from sponsorship, print press and, and television media. Um, you never know, you know, it could be uh, Andrex as, as the big sponsor of football if everyone keeps buying toilet roll, <laughs> they, they do. But um, is it made out to be as bad as it seems in terms of how we're, we're consuming football and, and football sponsorship? Um, yeah, I think actually it's worse. Um, I think that, I mean, tell me about how can can you how can you watch a football game without some exposure to gambling? It's it's difficult to to read about football. It's difficult to go to a game. Like even if you check use a, a live score app, for example, like you get adverts that are popping up with live ads or encouraging you to to bet on the game. So it's actually it's actually very difficult um, to engage with kind of stuff about football without some exposure to gambling as well be it through pop-up ads in an app or on a website or through simply 
you, you see the, the shirt sponsor. Like there is mo a multitude of different ways in which gambling is kind of put into our conscious or our subconscious. Um, and it's difficult to ignore all of them. You can't argue with that. I definitely, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of problems there with the amount of advertising. But I mean, again, like what other sort of there's not many other industries that get to reach its primary target market directly within a format. And that's not me trying to make make it a good thing. I think that's just that's just how it is. I mean, capital the capitalist culture. You've got the men who are 18 to 44, if not all and older, who are going to football games regularly, who are going to have a few drinks, are going to have have a gamble, and I think it's not a, it's not a um, coincidence that that's also the most amount of people we get to see who are going who are experiencing gambling or gambling harms. We're talking about sort of gambling harms and ways that the gambling industry can get people to watch football and, and also be engaged with gambling. And I, th I know we, we both, uh, I spoke to you both briefly about the bet to stream angle that, that gambling companies use. Um, does this encourage or uh, encourage people to gamble or is it um, just a benefit of an odd double? Um, yeah, for, for me, it's, it's, it's a, a poor move um, and it was very naive on the part of the FA. I mean, I think in the way that their deal was structured was with a third company to allow that, that situation to arise. Um, but it's, of course, it's an encouragement to gamble. Like the whole point of that is, is that somebody has to open an account. And, and once you've opened an account, then they've got your email address, contact details, whatever. And the individual can be bombarded with free bets. They already know that you're interested in football. So they might be, the, the gambling companies might be giving you like, oh, what's the big game this weekend? Have a £10 risk-free bet on that. And that gets you back on the site again. And then obviously the, 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 the marketing is going to change the maneuver you towards the casino games, which are, are more lucrative. And also, I think, Josh, we touched on this before. One of the, the major issues I have with it is that like, what does a 14-year-old kid want to do when he wants to watch his team? Like, do they try and open an account? Do they get their parents to open one? And even if they do, they're then sitting there watching the game, but, but it's on a gambling site, so they've got the live odds rolling past their eyes. Now, gambling, as we know, is only supposed to be really for sports gambling is only supposed to be for over 18 so for me it's not really acceptable at all to make a sport that's supposed to be for everyone only available on a platform that's providing an activity that's supposed to be for over 18s my argument is then it shouldn't shouldn't be even be on sky if it's for everybody but that's but i mean i mean there's, <laughs> there's i'm just being pedantic there probably um i'd personally i'd I don't see. I didn't see it marketed enough in terms of creating an account with us, and you get to watch all the FA Cup games. I don't. Um, so I, I didn't see it as a as much of a problem as other areas. Um, I think the FA put themselves in a bad position because they've said that they don't want anything to do with gambling and don't want gambling sponsors. But then are happy for that to to occur, which is probably um, which which isn't great. But sure. I didn't. I didn't see it as a problem compared to other sort of activities that get that get undertaken within the industry. So if I just if I can just throw that back at you there, but when you said about uh, the games shouldn't even be on Sky, if the games are then say on BBC um, and also they used to be on ITV, but if the FA Cup games on BBC are being played and it's, there's no advertisement there being paid for by the broadcaster, should there be a ban on gambling for games on the BBC? Difficult question. I think the te I think technology is in place now to prevent 
people who shouldn't be see, who, who shouldn't be seeing gambling adverts and shouldn't be seeing especially the, like advertising boards and stuff like that the way that they're now used and the way that we, we you can show different adverts and diff, on different TVs through that there shouldn't be a I think the technology can be in place to prevent those who, from harm and children and people who shouldn't be seeing gambling adverts from seeing them I think I think there's been there's been research done about what happens within how much gambling advertisements we see on match of the day and we all know how many children stay up to watch match of the day or get up early to watch it and things like that um and the BBC isn't supposed to be advertising anything, so it is a, it's a difficult position for the BBC to be in. Yeah, and the FA Cup games are an interesting one because my local team, Molden and Tiptree, who got uh, got through to the, the second round this year were on TV against Newport. Like, There's very few advertising hoardings um, around that pitch. But when the TV cameras came, suddenly there was the big electronic advertising boards around mm. the pitch that were absolutely covered in gambling companies logos um throughout the entire 90 minutes um and like you say with that being on the bbc it, it just it was just raised a few interesting questions for me yeah definitely and i mean even i think we can go back a couple of years to the Sutton united thing um and yeah. the, the, the substitute goalkeeper eating a pie on the on the in the dugout i mean oh yeah oh wow you laugh about yeah you laugh about it but I mean, as as Steve's mentioned, it goes back to the power and influence of the gambling com- industry on on football. It was that was one of the most ridiculous things I've seen in the FA Cup. Mm. It, was, it was it was obscene. Um, I, I, I go back to it now rather than having nothing at all. Though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> better than that, the position we are in now. Um, so, is there anything? One of the great things about the collective is it, is it brings people together from sorts of different areas of academia, just like this podcast. Almost all three of us are, are all sort of from different strands of, of football research. Um, so is there anything that you think we should consider when analysing the role of gambling in football and anything we should consider when analysing the role of gambling in wider society? Um, I guess for me, we just we have to kind of think, um, we have to consider historically what's happened with providers of other potentially harmful products Um and those industries and sports sponsorship, you know, there used to be an awful lot of alcohol and tobacco sponsorship, not just in football, but of other sports that got severely restricted or in some cases banned. And gambling has really stepped in to that void to fill that kind of gap of, of sponsorship. Um, but I think we're reaching, if we haven't already, like just a complete saturation point where there will just there'll have to be something done to stem the tide. Because you know, I think it was 17 out of the 24 championship clubs this season were sponsored by, were sponsored by uh, gambling companies. And I think the industry kind of know that that kind of regulation is coming. Um, that's why they're kind of lobbying hard at the moment, trying to implement some sort of measure of self-regulation, potentially to ward off stronger regula- regulation from the government. Definitely. I think it's interesting that all three of our teams, I think, are all sponsored by the same gambling company as well. Um, but, but, yeah, we need to look at things. We need to look at um, the role, how football fans consume gambling. And I think once you, I think we could, there's research to be done in that in that sort of realm, um, and how it's how it's used. I think it's it's gambling is a resource for football fans. Not it's not necessarily an activity, but a resource for. Um, to create connections, to create, to establish social capital, um, it's ga- gambling and the and the etiquette and the and how to gamble is probably 
a source of cultural capital as well for a lot of football fans. And I think that needs to be understood for us to then think, right, how can the role, the position of the gambling industry be changed and and hopefully create it a bit more of a safer place for all everybody that wants to watch it and everybody that wants to get involved. Is there anything you want to add to that, Steve? Um, short answer, no. <laughs> I think I, I think John's right. I think um, there there is a lot of there does tend to be a lot of focus from a research perspective um, on uh, on kind of the, the negative consequences of gambling, and I think that there's there's good justification for that because we are only really starting to scratch the surface now of understanding just what it means to be a disordered gambler um just what the harms actually are associated with that not just for the individual themselves but for the kind of the wider sphere of influence that that individual can have and, and how their problems can actually affect other people um but there is a, there is less research done kind of looking at what are the positive aspects of gambling in terms of kind of socialization and, and things like that so i agree to a certain extent with what john's saying there yeah i think um yeah, like it's not necessarily for me it's not necessarily a positive and negative anymore it's more looking at the value of gambling and that can then that can also that can bring in positive and negative consequences is there a social value value to gambling in society um in football in sport and from and all, and all that sort of thing yeah i think that the potentially is if if the industry don't try and okay let me let me start that one again and um, we know that the gambling industry takes a lot of a, a fair chunk of profits from a very small number of gamblers so yeah. once the legislation is in place to actually properly protect those kind of individuals who are obviously having problems with gambling then you you remove a lot of the harms and we're actually looking at the kind of the what you're saying john the kind of the ones that are actually the people that are gambling like perhaps like we do just a fiver on a saturday yeah. that is actually can actually be fun but but the, the problem is is that the industry doesn't really focus on like you know guys like us it's the ones that are spending a lot of money that are the ones that they generate a lot of their profits from so just one final question for you both um i've really enjoyed this sort of open discussion i think it's a great format we can take forward on the podcast um, so if you had full control of the relationship between gambling and football, um, what would you do and why? It's <laughs> a big question, that one. Um, I think um, for, for what, one thing I'd do would, would be to make the rules around advertising um, a lot more strict and a lot more clear. Uh, for example, there were, there's a lot of different types of marketing and advertising. And um, it, as far as we can kind of see it, it's only the, the TV ads where, you know, the gambling industry have been focusing a lot of attention with their whistle-to-whistle -whistle ban. Um, it's only those that actually come under the Advertising Standards Agency um, kind of auspices. Um, so much of the other type of marketing goes unchecked. Um, one of the things that always strikes me, um, a, an example of it, is that some of the Advertising Standards Agency rules, one of their, one of their rules for protecting people from who are vulnerable to harm from gambling adverts is that people in the adverts can't appear to be under the age i think it's of 25 which is fine so we're gambling adverts you're not going to have young people in but then you have players who are young like let's say someone like jude bellingham i think who was at birmingham and i think he was only 16 yeah. at the time he's still running around with a gambling company logo on his chest so how does that type of marketing escape regulation and um, 
for me that there's a lot of that kind of thing that needs to be a lot better regulated it's interesting you say that because i know um that's that's the rules in rugby league and there's a lot of kids that make the debut at sort of 17 and they're not allowed to wear the betfred logo even though they're the main sponsor and um, so that's probably something that football could look at um so john just to throw that back to you again um, what would your answer be to the question it's a difficult one. I've even had time to think about it while Steve's talking. I was, <laughs> I was just picturing myself behind a big desk with a big, uh, pretending I was a big wig. But, um, but no, I think, I mean, I've got to agree with Steve. I think um, shirt sponsorships is a big one and, and having that impact on, on the young lads. Um, we've got to start, get, I think, getting away from seeing, seeing the odds on. I play football manager quite a lot, quite religiously. And the odds are quite an important factor playing that game because it's telling you about the like um, your chances of winning the matches, stuff like that. It's part and parcel in, all, in, in a lot of the bits. It's part and parcel of, of a lot. And um, getting away from just thinking what are the, what the odds are, um, should, I, should I have a bet, is going to be a difficult one. Um, Josh, what there is, do you know what? There's one other thing and that, that is, I don't know, it's potentially a small thing that I think I might change. And I would like to see... Um, sponsors I mean I know this is there's going to be some football shirt purists and collectors that are going to hate this suggestion but I would like to see sponsors logos taken off replica shirt sales partly because if you look at various clubs and you look I can't remember the examples I read an article about this recently there's most of the Premier League clubs they're adult shirt sizes start from I think it's age 14 some of them do which means you're going to get children that are essentially still children walking around with a gambling company on their chest. And the only way to avoid that is to not have uh, the sponsor's logos on replica shirts at all. I can completely get behind that. There's a lot of kits I think would look better without sort of maybe 32 red plastered across it. No, no, I, I agree. Another thing that I think I've seen Steve talk about quite a lot is when you have all these all the score checker websites and apps and things like that. You have your flash scores, stuff like that. Um, obviously, people people are going to be checking on that and under it, and young children and young adults, perhaps, or even those um, who might be experiencing harm, will be checking them for the scores. And there's no reason why adver- massive advertisements for different gambling companies should be on there either. Yeah. What would you say about um, betting terminals inside of grounds? It was it was it was a regular for when I first started when I, when I was a season ticket holder at the borough. Um, there was always a a, lad, a a guy behind the counter, and you'd always see all the odds written on the on the whiteboards and things like that. It's quite an original. It was quite a well. Look, looking back, it's quite a nostalgic sight. I thought, but um, yeah, there's still evidence of that now. Even at um, uh, Bramwell Lane in Sheffield last year, there was still the. You could see the the one of the, I forget which gambling company it was, but their their little stands were just tucked away in the corner. That obviously they would have been brought out on match day. So obviously still those things are still there within the grounds. I remember I remember going to Huddersfield away, and I think I won a bet. But then by the time I got to it after the match, the the, the hut had closed. So um, <laughs> probably dead against them. But then you can't get signal to bet on your phone either. So when you go up with it, and I think there is. A bit of because quite a lot of I don't know I don't know if I want to use the word hypocrisy because it's quite a strong word but for want of a better phrase there's quite a lot of hypocrisy within football and and the football association regarding gambling like you get players like 
uh, I don't know, Joey Barton, for an example, probably not a good one because everyone, <laughs> a lot of people aren't exactly sad that he got punished. But wasn't there a lad at Leeds as well who was only quite young who had the who got in a lot of trouble John, for John placing Steve. a bet? And I just I just feel like player the, the the football association places a lot of uh, responsibility squarely on the shoulders of the individual. Now, obviously, you can't deny that there is a lot of individual responsibility in behaviour but at the same time the clubs have to shoulder a burden of responsibility as well and if you've got a player that is running around with a gambling logo on his chest every match probably or their training kit are covered in that as well but then you throw the book at him as a club um, or the association does um, when he makes makes a mistake and places a bet and I think there's there's a lot of hypocrisy with that with football clubs ready to take gambling companies money but then punish their own players harshly when they do something they shouldn't um no I, I agree with steve i also think that we should probably come back to do this pod do a podcast on gambling and invite others in the probably it's ever changing so i mean it, you could probably do another another one like this in six months time and things will have changed and the industry will have changed and it'll have a new a new tack and a new focus of a new things of where to go there'll be people um Within the industry, who are challenging more things that the gamble- that the industry is doing wrong, or and things like that, it's it's such a it's such a evolving industry to be researching around um, and ever changing that we'll never we can almost never keep up with what it's how it's up being updated. And I think it's really interesting for and hopefully from this more people will get involved in discussing the, where gambling is within football and academia and all those different kind of things so thanks once again lads it's been a pleasure right cheers Josh cheers John cheers Josh cheers Steve